0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 15. Glory to you, O Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that will belong to me. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, came back, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Today's text begins with its context, that context being that Jesus has been welcoming and even seemingly enjoying the company of tax collectors and sinners, which is kind of biblical shorthand for the kind of people whom religious people traditionally don't welcome and only enjoy to the degree that they take joy in judging them but jesus wasn't marching to their particularly religious drum and so jesus tells that the religious leaders it tells us that they were now grumbling about and judging him in response says our text he told them this parable although you may have noticed there were some verses omitted that's because in fact boom 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 three in a row parables he told them first about a lost sheep and then about a lost coin and then This most well-known of the three, which in its context, I think, should actually be called the parable of the lost son. But tradition has handed it to us with the title, the parable of the prodigal son, which works too, actually. And so what I want to do today is look at this parable under the umbrella of both words, the parable of the lost and prodigal sons. Notice sons, plural as in when it comes to both lostness and prodigality there are more than one there's more than one son to choose from the word prodigal means wastefully or recklessly extravagant there's a lot of that in this parable so it is part of our title the word lost means Well I think we all know what it means, although I think it's good to remind ourselves that loss can mean more than just something that happens when we're out driving or hiking. One can feel lost regarding a sense of place or purpose in the world. One can feel lost as in, I don't know how I feel, or even if I feel about myself and the world. One can feel like a lost soul distanced and separated from things spiritual, from God. Or of course, sometimes due to death and the path it takes, but also sometimes due to life and the paths it takes, one can lose or feel lost by someone loved. And there's a lot of lostness in this story too. So lost does work as part of our working title too. Jesus begins this by him, untitled story, by saying there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now in the culture of that day, a portion of the father's property, a lesser portion actually, the older son got a greater portion, uh, but a portion would have been allocated for the son in its time that time being when dad died. N.T. Wright observes that asking for that property now would have been heard then as the shameful equivalent of wishing that his father was dead. Which is to say that this son here is introduced here not just as some kind of a free spirit who wants to go off and find himself, but rather as a self-absorbed and self-entitled brat. The father in the story, however, rather than doing what all probably would have said he should have done, disinherit the presumptuous punk, instead gives him what he asks for, dividing his property between his sons. A few days after which this son gathers all that he now does have and, says our text, traveled to a distant country, distant not just in miles from his dad, but also surely in the way he distances himself as well from every blessed thing his father had ever stood for. As he then, our text says, squandered his property in dissolute living. Dissolute, it means indifferent to moral restraints. And without moral restraints, he's free, right? Oh my, is he free. Free, in his case, to do every damned thing he'd ever wanted to do with everyone and everything money can buy. And it buys a lot. But it turns out that what seemed like so much money back on the farm isn't quite as much money in the big city now as he thought it was. And so before he knows it, the money's gone. And all his new friends are gone with it. And then it says there's a severe famine in the land, which is Bible shorthand for an economic downturn, which means that for the first time in his life, now that he decides he'd better grow up and get a job, he finds out that nope, nobody's hiring. And things get worse. Is Tesla's repossessed? The bank forecloses on his condo. He pawns his golf clubs, but that money is way soon gone. And he soon has nothing, and literally nothing, and it's desperate. He's starving. Verse 15, so he went and sold himself, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. This scene is Bible shorthand for Reaching Bottom. He's feeding pigs and coveting pig food, which is even bottom-er when you remember he's a young Jewish boy, because for Jews, pigs are unclean, as in insulting and detestable, not just to other Jews, but even to God. That said, though, provided you survive it, Reaching bottom isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be a place where change is born. Verse 17, when we came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands." And so off he went to his father. Selfish, he had left his dad. Coming to himself, he now heads back to his dad. Selfish, everything is about him, and he wants nothing to do with his father. Coming to himself, he realizes he's got nothing without his Father. Some of us, I imagine, have at one time or another been on our own versions of that very same story, that very same journey. Oh my, the living we were doing. Till we came to ourselves and realized we had nothing without God the Father. Verse 20, he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him. Here we learn some things about dad. Who hadn't stopped his son from leaving. Presumably believing that some of the best things that there are can't be accomplished with chains. Nor had he chased him down and dragged him home when he left. Presumably believing that some of the things that aren't things at all but are the most worth having can't be forced. But rather in this case can only be waited for with porch light on and door unlocked and prayers prayed and eyes on the horizon. That's dad. He doesn't do what he can't do but he's sure not going to miss the chance to do what he can do. And so again and again you'd see him looking down that road till one time he sees him and he recognizes the walk the minute that boy comes over that rise off to the east of the home place. And filled with anger, no, no, doesn't say that. Filled with righteous indignation, no, doesn't say that. Filled with the thought that that boy had better darn well switch from walking to crawling before he gets any closer, no, it doesn't say that. Second half of verse 20, while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled with compassion, ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. My gosh, the boy prepared this nice speech about how sorry he was. Turns out he's welcomed home with a hug and a kiss before he even gets a chance to open his mouth and give his speech. But then he did start the speech he'd worked on. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That wasn't the end of the speech. He meant to go on to say, Dad, I know I can't be your son ever again, but could I be one of the hired hands? Could I have a, could I have a, a job and a spot in the bunkhouse? But his, his dad doesn't even let him get to that part of the speech. In fact, his dad is so beside himself happy, he hadn't even heard the first part of the speech because his mind is racing ahead. Verse 22, But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put him on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine. Notice that proposal that he be one of the hired hands didn't take. This son of mine, dad says, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. They had a party. And the host of the party was Grace. Grace knows what the boy did. Grace knows what the boy deserves. Grace isn't interested in the boy getting what he deserves. Grace is just glad he's home. Verse 25, now the man's elder son, the big brother, the firstborn, the responsible one, the good one, was in the field being good, right? Doing what he was supposed to do. When he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. The slave said, your brother's home. Your father killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. It is, of course, an all too common story That same grace that extravagantly welcomes the sinner brother who'd left home and returned now totally ticks off the older brother who'd stayed home the whole time. In the history of good religious people, he's neither the first nor the last to turn his back on his father because he refuses to turn and face his brother. Ah, but the father's back, grace's back, isn't turned to him. Verse 28, his father came out to him and began to plead with him. But he answered, listen, all these years I've been working like a slave for you. I've not ever disobeyed one of your commands. Yet you've never even given me a young goat that I might have a party with my friends. But this son of yours comes back who's devoured his property with prostitutes. You kill the fatted calf for him. Wow, right? The younger brother leaves his father and comes back knowing he's got no right to anything. He should be a hired hand or even a slave at best. But here we find out the older brother thinks that all these years with his father, he's been a slave the whole time. I don't know if I invented the term or heard it somewhere. No clue. But I I call this an example of sin envy. I actually think it's a thing. As in, so I could have been having all that fun with prostitutes and whatever, and then I could come back and he'd still welcome me and love me? Instead, I've been wasting all this time obeying you? Wow, right? In the miles away far off country where the younger son went, he'd made the choice to disobey. But... Now we learn that in the very nearby, but obviously also far from dad place, also a far off country where this older son lives, he has in his mind that he was stuck obeying. The younger son was lost and wondered if dad would accept him again after what he'd done. The older son was in his own way as lost, thinking his father's love for him was only because of what he'd done. Verse 31, Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. we had to celebrate and rejoice, this brother of yours was dead, came back to life. He was lost. He's found. A moment ago, with venom in his voice, the the young man had... Older referred, referred to as the prodigal as this son of yours who came back home. Now with dad with pleading in his voice says, this brother of yours who came back to life. And that's the end of the story, except it isn't, right? I mean, what happens next? Does the family get together again or not? Jesus doesn't say. The reason being, I think, because he wants the end of this story not to be something he says, but rather something that his hearers do. He ends the story the way he does because the rest of the story is ours to do. But exactly what this story calls us to do depends on where exactly in this story Jesus has been telling the story of us. Where exactly in the parable he has been telling the story of you? Are you the younger son? Feeling distant from God, far away, lost, wondering what in the world you'd been thinking, what you did, what you did. Well, then this story calls you to repentance, to return home, but to do so the whole way, remembering the parable's promise oh, my goodness, is there ever a welcome waiting for you there? Or are you maybe the older son? The responsible one, yes, but judgmental sometimes too when you think of grace welcoming somebody like that, people like that. Are you, in other words, the one who's in your own way lost and far from dad because all the years you spent doing so many right things for so many wrong reasons? If so, you know what? This parable calls you to repent, to return to the Father too by turning to the realization that obedience is good. Doing what is right is very good. But our place at the table isn't about the level of our obedience, it's about the depth of the Father's love. Whether you are the younger or older brother, in other words, you write and live out your own ending to this parable by returning to the Father and to love and to grace that is for you and your brother and for all. Back to our umbrella title, the lost sons and the prodigal sons. Sons, plural, because the younger and older brother were in their own ways both lost, distant from the one whose love was their place at the table. And the younger son, surely too, was prodigal, journeying far from father to that distant country where prodigally, prodigally, extravagantly, he did spend all that he had. It being lent, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that there is to the father's other son. The son who's telling the story, who would too, who did too, journey far from his father. To a place as distant from the Father as could possibly be. For the Father is righteous, but this Son journeyed to the oh so distant land of our sin. And the Father is life, but this Son journeyed to the distant land of death, his and ours. And the Father is love, but this Son journeyed to the distant land, our land, where love is hated. And extravagantly, prodigally, he spent all that he had that rising up not out of a pigsty, but out of a grave, he might be our way home again. Amen.